in Noah's Ark where the bow is pointed at him, but it doesn't actually ever shoot at yep. God because he doesn't go back on his word. That's right. On the cross, he actually is shot and yep. he's shot with judgment. Yeah, that's right. So, which is shot. why salvation is freely 100% of grace, all of grace from beginning to end. It's not Jesus goes to the cross and, you know, does his part. And then you got to do your part by carrying your own cross. Yep. You yeah. carry the, we take up the cross and follow him because he's gone to the cross. Yep. Exactly. Like, you know, his grace leads to our gratitude. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology, and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey, this is Peter Bell, and I am in the beautiful wine country of Central Coast, California, in Santa Maria, north end of Santa Maria, in Santa Barbara County. I serve Redeemer OPC, Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church, on the north end of Santa Maria. We meet at Temple Bethel, which is right there, Temple Bethel, at 11 a.m. for Sunday service and 9.45 a.m., so just before that for Sunday school. For all ages, we have kids Sunday school, adult Sunday school, or all Sunday school at 9.45. You can find us at discoverredeemer.org with one R, again, discoverredeemer. Org. We have a bunch of activities throughout the week, but most importantly, Sunday, we have the gospel preach, the, the sacraments administered, and church discipline faithfully brought out. So I hope to see you here at Redeemer OPC in Santa Maria, Central Coast, wine country of Santa Barbara. Hope to see you. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Danny Hyde from the Oceanside United Reformed Church. I want to invite you out to our church. We meet in sunny Southern California uh, here in San Diego. And we meet at the Army-Navy Academy in Carlsbad, right along the ocean, as you can see, the Pacific. And uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We uh, hear the Word of God, we hear the Gospel preach, we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning. And then we have Sunday school at about noon for kids. We come again uh, together at 5 o'clock every night, uh, Sunday night, for uh, teaching, prayer, and singing. And then we also have various uh, midweek groups, Bible studies, men's, women's, and also other Bible studies as well uh, throughout the week. So. I want to invite you out to worship with us. If you know anybody in the area here in North County of San Diego, uh, invite them as well. Let them know. You can find out more about us on our website, OceansideURC.org, or also on all those various social media. You'll find us as well. God bless. Hey, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts. We're doing something new. All ads will be fronted before the episode for unimpeded listening pleasure. A quick plug for our show, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. Would you consider giving to our show? We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are now tax-deductible. We've got two options to give. One, email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com if you'd like to send a check or use our direct donor link. Or two, go to our show notes and click on our donor box link to give a recurring donation or a one-time gift. 
You can also click on our Patreon account in the show notes and sign up for monthly exclusives, merchandise, coupon codes with publishers we work with, giveaways for our subscribers, and much more. All donations we're gifted are used exclusively to pursue our mission to bridge the gap to reform Christian theology. Would you join us? Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're doing a season seven episode. This is episode two of Finding Jesus Throughout the Whole Bible. And we're going to be focusing on this episode, Genesis 1 through 11. So we're kicking off uh, talking about the Bible. Last episode was just introducing the season to you guys. And this is the first official uh, episode uh, going into scripture. And we're going to find landmarks throughout Genesis 1 through 11 of where we find uh, Christ, uh, whether, you know, theophany, typology, Christophany. Christophanies, those kind of terms that are uh, finding Christ throughout the Old Testament. Um, we're going to be doing that through every episode, just as we uh, talked about in episode one. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we have obviously uh, our third co-host this season. We'll just call him a co-host because uh, it's, it's, That's he's, what he is. On, he's <laughs> on every episode. He's not yeah. uh, just a guest for this season. It's uh, Dr. Reverend Danny Hyde. Uh, we can reintroduce him uh, on every episode if you guys want. Um, but uh, there's some really, really, this is a huge foundational uh, section. I don't want to say uh, we're not doing the entire book of Genesis. Uh, we're not just doing one chapter, one verse or anything like that. We're doing uh, the first 11 chapters. So Daniel or Peter will help explain uh, why we are splitting Genesis into two parts. You know, the first part being a little bit more of world events. And then uh, Genesis 12 through 50 is more of uh, fa Abraham's family and people. Uh, but uh, there's also um, actually prologues and 10 parts that uh, Danny can help explain how that's split up too. And Genesis means beginning or origins. Um, we're going to be talking about the, in, in Genesis 10, one through 11 formation, fall, flood, and fallout. Uh, again, Genesis is the foundation of redemptive history. So let's do this. Let's get right into season seven. This is going to be super fun. This is a more of a biblical theology focused on where we're finding Christ from uh from all of scripture. So let's kick things off. Uh, I, I don't know if I say let Peter further introduce <laughs> our co-host today or how we do it now. Uh, yeah, who knows? I, I introduced him last time. So it's, <laughs> oh yeah, he's, uh, we have, we have 42 episodes to interview Dr. Hyde to see if we <laughs> want to keep him. Yeah, exactly. The long job interview here. That's right. Yeah. So Danny, no, uh, how's, uh, what's it like being, well, I'm, I like starting off with fun question. What's, what's it like being in the major leagues? as the uh as one of the co-hosts of guilt grace gratitude and this is like you made it you're like you're it's like the you're the call up right it's the call yeah. up on, on, the, on the the you know <laughs> i had like i had like my cup of coffee a few times you know when you guys uh brought me up on, a, on an episode you know like i was yep. like the minor leaguer got up you know brought, just kind of like for a feeling game. it out seeing like what the pitch speed you know, was like trying to get all that my trout got hurt so i got pulled up for a game just to make <laughs> sure you know and then uh but now i got the call up you know like you know i'm, I'm in there you go so yeah, yeah, I came from the uh yeah, my my uh my third son's favorite minor league team is the 
uh, it's the Angels double A team. Their nickname is the Trash Pandas. Yeah, the Trash Pandas. Oh, Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Trash Pandas. Like I think they're in Mobile, Alabama. The Mobile Trash Pandas, whatever. It's crazy. So, yeah, the big time. That's right. Ever since (laughs) I don't know when the all the minor leagues changed their names. Yeah, they're so cool names before because before it was like the Rome Braves or Omaha. Royals and now it's the Omaha yeah. Storm Chasers. Like they're yeah. it's crazy. The names so are weird. so much better now. The banana yeah. slugs and stuff like that. Yeah, banana oh, slugs yeah. isn't a minor league team. That's a that's a like a semi-pro traveling. That's UC yep. Santa Cruz though. That's UC Santa Cruz's uh, yeah. mascot. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 I well, played them once in the... basketball in college. It was crazy. Well, banana yeah. slugs are baseball's version of Har- of the Harlem Globetrotters. Yep. Right. Yep. They're uh yeah. they're kind of washed out major leaguers. Or those who like were one trick ponies and couldn't really make it, or they were tired. There's some, there's a few retired, like Hunter Pence, who's now filled for the Astros, who the most unorthodox hitting and throwing is now like a star for the bananas for the banana slugs, which is kind of funny. And, and speaking and, uh, of not, yeah, and speaking of not being in the minor leagues, we're coming to the book of Genesis, which is the big time, right? That's yeah. right. This is uh, there's <laughs> a lot of feels like there's a lot of weight on this one. I did I tried to do extra homework on it because it's like yeah. you can't really yeah. if you screw up Genesis one through eleven, the whole rest of the Bible doesn't make any sense. Pretty much, pretty much, <laughs> or so, it's harder to make it make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, if yep. you can understand Genesis one through eleven, it 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 you can understand the rest of the Bible a lot easier. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, my professor in STEM, uh, Meredith Klein, made a career out of that's right, just Genesis one through Kingdom 11. prologue. Yeah, that's like you wrote four hundred pages like, of the hardest you know, English prose I've ever read in my entire life. Not, not one sermon, not one book, but a whole career on Genesis one through eleven. So yeah, there you yep. go. Well, that kicks off actually a legit question. Um, some books are really long and some are short. Genesis is a longer one. When it take forever to do one through fifty in one episode. So what what is the uh and if you do other research like it's it's always categorized uh genesis 1 through 11 and then 12 through 50 so um why why is that structure and i brought it up in the intro like there's world events in 1 through 11 it's more of an origin yep. explanation creation the you know uh formation fall flood fallout can you go into a little bit more description of why we're doing 1 through 11 not 1 through 10 or 1 through 13 you or know 1 through 50 yeah. Like, what about the entire book of yeah. Genesis? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is it cut off at 11 and then it makes sense to start again at 12? I'm going to go with the doctor to answer this question first. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously Genesis, well, I mean, Abram shows up before chapter 12, verse right. one, but yes. yeah, that's where he's called, right? So he's the father yeah. of the faithful. He's the father of uh, the Jewish people. So obviously, like, that's a kind of, you know, as Ron Burgundy once said, kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> So yeah, and then Genesis one through eleven is like, it's so. I mean, it's very like you said, it's so foundational, uh, but it's also strange and it's like difficult and yeah. it's you know, not to give away like you know, or not to get into all kinds of like you know debates about age of the earth, whatever. But <laughs> I was about to say you know, this is all about the age of the earth, right? These are like, these are like you know, like history, like so long ago. Yeah, like we know the time of Abram, Abraham you know, roughly Mm -hmm. speaking around 2000, like we know there's great migrations across like the Levant to the Fertile Crescent. So like we can kind of, kind of like safely say like, oh, you know, Abimelech and, you know, all these like people, like they in general, like are in the places and times that we're more familiar with. Whereas Genesis 1 to 11 is, you know, it's just harder. Yeah. It's difficult. It's strange. Yeah. It's foundational. There's like 
you know, it's 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 more condensed, whereas 12 to 50 is like this long narrative. It's more of a free-flowing narrative, like a story. Yeah. So, you know, um, anyways, that's, you know, as far as like that division goes, that, that's what I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, you cover however many years of redemptive history from Genesis 1 to 11, and then it really slows down at Genesis 12, yep. especially with Abraham. Or yep. Abram until Genesis seventeen. So it's like the whole, yeah, the whole world in one to one to eleven, and then one guy, yeah, you know, one guy. So yeah, and then what, his descendants from like twenty six yep. onwards. Yep. But what I like about how Gen- Genesis eleven ends, it's kind of like watching um, a movie that you know is going to be to be continued, and it's showing kind of the 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 precursor of how it's going to be connected to the next movie. <laughs> well, so you, it's like you kind of think at the end of Genesis eleven, like everything's going to fall apart because you just had you just had a uh, Babel. At the beginning yeah, of Genesis yep. 11, and yep. you wonder is Abraham going to do the same thing that the the, the Babylonians or the Babylonites did before, or is this going to go slightly different? Yep. Yeah, and it, it teases Genesis 12 already entered, like you said, Doctor Hyde it already introduces Abraham. So you're like going into Genesis 12, we're like, okay, we already met this Abraham guy, we don't know much about him yet. Uh, but again, all you know is about- he comes from Ur, which is a pagan yeah. area. Well, yep. Yeah, it's not like there's <laughs> there's that many places that are. They're God fearing, but it's like he comes from Ur, which is yeah, pagan to the max. And you yep. get this Abraham dude, and you kind of assume he's gonna be a pagan, like everybody yep. else that you had seen before. Which is crazy because uh, you know, God, like, I mean, well, this gets us into the content, but you know, yeah. after after the flood, uh, and the you know, the waters recede, Noah and his family come out, God makes the covenant with Noah and the whole world. Um, and the rainbow is a sign of that. Yep. Um you know, it's like new creational language, right? And so, like, God is telling Abraham and his sons to go out and be fruitful, multiply. Same thing he told Adam and Eve. And, um, you know, and then there's his three sons, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then mm-hmm. um, then the, the line of Shem, which is like the end of chapter 11, you know, it goes from line of Shem, like, all the way down, like, his generations all the way down um, to Terah. And then he has, you know, we're told there, uh, 11 to 26, you know, he had three kids, three sons, uh, Abram, Nahor, Haran. And so you're like, oh, awesome. Like, this is, you know, you know Noah, he's this godly man. And, that, you know, God sees him as uh, God chooses him, but he's also a godly man compared to his mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has three sons. Oh, and there's this other guy uh, who has three sons. This is going to be this great line of faith. And But then you realize and you come to understand, like, some of the context of Ur. And then you learn from, like, I think it's Joshua 9. Is it Joshua 9? Um, yeah. Yeah, where, I think it's yeah, around there. In Joshua nine, where Joshua like recounts the whole history of redemption, and he tells the Israelites that God chose uh, an idol worshiper to yeah to be the father of the faithful. <laughs> you're like you're like so you're like yeah, it, it feels yeah. it it feels like yeah the Tower of Babel. Everybody wants to become like God, just like Adam in the garden. They're building this tower to have and make a name for themselves. Like this is divine kind of language, and then God scatters everybody. Um, so yeah, I mean, like there there's not a godly person. No. It's as bad as it possibly. It, it feels like it's as bad as Genesis six, like where everybody did what was evil yeah. all the time, continually. Like mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden, God chooses this guy out of Ur, this idol worshiping culture. Yeah, and you he look at God as like, faithful. Sure, that's the dude you want to continue yeah, the life exactly. of the woman. Yeah. So, which just goes to show, like the whole idea of uh, of God's of God's grace, like the whole the whole salvation plan that God has from beginning to end is just hundred hundred percent grace. Like has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. God is gracious. Like we praise him for that. Yeah. The the drama 
of what we're saved from is laid on thick right out of the gate. I mean, well, I mean, there's creation and then all of a sudden the fall happens pretty quickly. And then the gospel is proclaimed by God or and does it Genesis 315. And then we have three major people that are in Genesis one through 11. We have Adam, we yep. have Noah and yep. we have Abraham. Yep. So they're all uh huge landmark people that have connections to Christ. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I kind of want to ask this to lay some extra groundwork. Um, what period of, I mean, this is kind of easy or <laughs> obvious, but what period of history is God's dealing with his people in Genesis 1 through 11 detailing? Is Moses, uh, most people uh, would say um, Moses is the author, uh, you know, who's the audience in that time? Just to lay context of uh, audience and author hmm. and time. It happened 6,000 BC. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> the actual uh, yeah, throw a little bomb in there. Yeah, there you go. We're um, not young earthers. I no. thought it was four thousand and four BC, but whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, that's true. Four thousand and four BC. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Yep. That was the, that was the Irish. The Irish. Uh, yep. Yeah, James Irish, Usher, uh, Archbishop James Usher. Yep. Uh, James Usher said that. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I can't. Remember. He he actually nailed it down to the month and the day. October. Was it like October something? Yeah. Of it was yeah, October something. Because God came in the cool of the day, and so it must have been like a fall, a nice windy fall yeah, day. Exactly. Because he never felt the cool. Had some fun words. <laughs> yeah, it's if you look. Yeah, Meredith Klein had some fun words. Like I'm not really sure that's cool of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, what period of history? Uh, old old history. Um, <laughs> oldest. Uh, yeah. The old yeah the oldest history that that's recorded for us. It's called like right? what primeval history too. primeval like, history. Oh, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yep. Um, you know, maybe not the nicest term, you know, no, but uh, I think so that has it. a bad connotation. It just means kind of before yeah. everything else. Yeah. yeah. In scripture, you know, like old new Testament, Jesus himself says that Moses wrote Genesis, right? He yep. wrote the Pentateuch. Um, obviously there's, you know, verses here and there, probably like the verse that says Moses died. Yeah. That he didn't write, but him. yeah, but Moses wrote, you know, most of it, ninety nine point nine percent, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and he's and and uh, you know, no doubt, like these stories had been like it's a very oral culture. So like, no doubt, yeah. these stories have been passed down to the Israelites, the in the line of Shem, especially, um, even in their Id idol worshiping, you know, status. Yeah. Um, but Moses now is writing this down, yep. and they're they've left most likely they've they've come out of Egypt, mm -hmm. um, you know. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses spends a lot of time in the mountain. Uh, he spends a lot of time in the tabernacle, uh, the little tent of meeting that he has, his yep. own personal tent. So he's writing this, the, these these stories down um, under the power of the Holy Spirit to tell the Israelites as they've just left this idol-worshipping culture, um, and they're going into an idol-worshipping culture, to basically say there's one true God. Yep. And his name is well, Elohim, God. Uh, but the Lord Yahweh Jehovah uh, Hashem, the uh, the God of the mountain of uh, Mount Sinai, the God of the burning bush, the God who redeemed them uh, at the Red Sea, is the God of creation. He's the one true God, not these other false gods, not Pharaoh, not the Canaanites, not Baal, Baal, um, but the one true God. Yeah, maybe to help with our audience as well to situate this, because my guess is when people look at the book of Genesis, and especially so the first few chapters, I think that the gut level instinct, the gut level reaction is this is just profiling the age of the earth. This is just profiling some of this stuff. Yep. So maybe like without saying that they're wrong or whatever, why is that maybe not, why is that too narrow of a focus versus looking at the broader context? 
Uh, are you asking me or asking Nick? I mean, Nick, you got any profound thoughts on that? Yeah, Nick. <laughs> You're gonna let's have to put, let's put the him on the question. spot. The what? <laughs> You're gonna have to repeat the question. So, <clears throat> generally speaking, this is a kind of the tradition both you and I come from, and I think Danny comes from as well. Where Genesis, if it's talked about, it's usually like just about the age of the Earth. It's mm. how old the Earth is. Was it six twenty-four hour days? And that's <clears throat> if we talk about Genesis one to three, more particularly so. It is just like. I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, like going against the scientific consensus, like we're like, you're wrong, we're right. Um, why is this maybe too narrow of a focus versus looking at the broader context of Genesis, like what you're just saying, profiling the line of the seed? Yeah, I think it's missing the point if you're just trying to have it answer scientific questions um, based on that. And it's not saying it's disagreeing with science. It's just saying based on the context of the day, that's how God was speaking to his people about how to explain in ways that we would understand what the origins and, and he's, he's laying out um, how redemptive history will play out based on even uh, explaining things that we could understand, even if it's like six twenty four or six days of creation and with the seventh day being rest and salvation or rest and Sabbath. So mm-hmm. um, it's not saying, oh, that, that whole point of Genesis one is to try to figure out um, the age of the earth or anything like that. It's kind of missing the point. It's saying, you know, God is the creator. We are the created. We're the creatures. It's trying to put the uh, creator-creature distinction in yeah, order. And there's one God versus a pantheon of gods, whoever they may worship. There's one God yeah. who created all things and then just form stuff yeah. that already exists. Yeah. I think, and I would add to I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, I would add to that, you know, put yourself in the in the shoes of the Israelites in the wilderness. Yep. You know, and they're like, hey, how do we get here? Yep. And so Moses is telling them like, okay, you know, here's where we are. Here's where we're at right now. Um, first of all, here's where we came from. Yep. Genesis one through, you know, 11, you know, Hey, we're, we're, we're part of the human family. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, and then we're also specifically the, the children of Abraham, uh, and where are we going? So like, you know, Genesis one through three, especially like, can't just be, you know, extracted, um, out of the rest of the story. Like the story ends and it continues into Exodus. Like there's a whole, it's a, it's all part of one gigantic story. Um, but yeah, it's meant to show them where they came from and they come from the one true God. Um, that one true God is not Ra, the, the mm-hmm. sun God of uh, the Egyptians. Uh, he's not Baal, the God of the Canaanites. Um, he's not, uh, you know, one God among many. He is the God who in the beginning, the singular God who in the beginning mm-hmm. created. Mm-hmm. And he did so simply by his word. Like that's how powerful he is. Yep. And this God uh, has created He's established his kingdom on earth. Uh, humans, our first parents, fell into sin, and you know that's led to a- absolute chaos. And now this God is showing us that He's chosen one man from that one man and his wife. Uh, that seed is going to come, and we're that seed. We are that seed, mm-hmm. um, but yet we're still not there. Like we're in the wilderness. Even we, even they get to the promised land, we're still not mm-hmm. there. Like you know, and that'll, that'll come like in the months to come in all in all of our studies, but. Um, the whole thing is like always, you know, looking back where we come from and looking forward where we're going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before Nick's next question, um, curious, Danny, because you were the one who first brought it up. I had never heard of, um, or at least don't remember hearing that this 
Genesis, yes, it was written by Moses, but it, like I never put two and two together and say, well, this is proclaimed to the Israelites in the wilderness after coming out of Egypt. Um, where do we get that from? That this is this is this was meant to be preached to Israel, not just a kind of a I don't know, quote unquote, like a scientific apologetic. Um, well, I mean. Moses dies before they get into the promised land. So he had to have written it before that. Uh Um, And I would say um, like Deuteronomy, right? I mean, we're not there yet, but Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, right? That's literally what it means. The second giving the second law. Um, And these are, those are like Moses sermons to the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, They're literal like sermons, right? These are like speeches he gave and they're recorded as Moses speaking them. Yeah. And um, like, why, why why is it that in i mean exodus we see this in exodus we'll get there too yep. uh, leviticus numbers but especially deuteronomy like why is it that moses is constantly like he's he has he's like harping on the israelites you know the lord hero is the lord of god the lord is one that's the the the, the great creed the yeah, shema the lord of god the lord is one you know and you shall worship the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength like why is it that moses is constantly and the Lord through Moses is constantly like chastising them for their sins of idolatry. Yeah. Um, and why is it that he's constantly like, you know, then promoting the positive, Hey, worship the one true God. It's because they've, they've spent 400 years uh, in a, in an idol worshiping culture and they've not worshiped the idols presumably, but they've been surrounded by it. Yeah. Um, and then um, they're going into a culture now full of gods. Yep, full of gods, like the pan, like you know, a whole pantheon. Yeah, so it doesn't the, get any poly- better. Yeah, so the polytheism is just surrounding them. Like, they're the only ones who are monotheists, uh, except for you know, there's a certain uh, pharaoh that proclaimed monotheism, but that was one guy. Um, some people think he's the pharaoh of the, of, of the Exodus, but whatever. Um, everybody's a polytheist, right? Yeah. Uh, the Greeks, um, everybody, like the. Assyrians, uh, the Akkadians, like every culture that comes, Babylonians later on, like every culture that's around them, like they're all, they're all polytheists. But you have in these, in the Pentateuch, especially these five first, five, first five books, just constant call to worship the one true God, the monotheistic God, um, the the Lord, uh, Elohim, God, Yahweh, the Lord. So, um, yeah, it, it's just there. There's so there, there's just so much more going on, in and not even like. And that's not even mentioning the fact that, like, the days of creation themselves, clearly, this is historical reality, but clearly they're organized in a, like, a topical way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's called, like, the first three days are the forms, the second three days are the fullness, or Mm -hmm. the, you know, or there's other, like, uh, well, Genesis 1, 2, like, you have the, it's formless and void, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, the days of creation are meant to show form, first of all, yep, uh, and then fullness, filling the void um, with all the things within them. So, you know, you have like light and darkness and then mm-hmm. day four, that's for day one, day four, all of a sudden there's sun, moon, and stars that appear. Mm-hmm. Well, was there no sun, moon, and stars? <laughs> yeah. How was there light? Like yeah. there's a lot of scientific questions that we have about this stuff. Yep. That's not the point. Yeah. It's yeah. The if point, we're asking that question to be a little clearer, yeah. but it doesn't seem to be yeah. asking that question. Yeah. And so like, you know, greater people than us have said like, Herman Bavink have said, yeah. well, yeah, these are described to us in order, like as ordinary days, 
but there's enough. These are anything but ordinary because there's no <laughs> yeah. sun on the first three days. Like, yeah. So, you know, Calvin explains that by saying, well, you know, it's God, you know, God, the Bible says God is the light. And so God supernaturally like, sure. And sure that, that, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a plausible answer. Yeah. I guess it's an explanation um, of sorts. Yeah. It's a plausible answer. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. It just, but then they wouldn't, they certainly wouldn't be ordinary days if God is the light. So again, yeah, again. So like, okay, what, what so what's going on? Well, there's obviously like some kind of topical arrangement. Yeah. And the whole and the whole like thrust of it all is like the last thing God creates is Adam and Eve. Yep. And everything else he makes by just simply saying uh, uh Vyomer Elohim, you know, and God said, uh, but then when it comes to Adam and Eve, you know, God all of a sudden says, Let us make man in our image. Like there's this mm-hmm. conversation, God just speaks, everything comes into existence. But when God makes cool. us, he speaks, he, he con- has a con- conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the Sabbath day, right? Or the Sabbath, like rest. Yeah. That God actually rests, which is crazy to think Certainly about. Certainly not a normal day. Certainly not a normal yeah, day. Usually, you know? you have, usually your six normal days are followed by a seventh normal day. But this, that's right. The, the seventh day is not a normal day at all. And the and all the days of creation say, you know, there was evening, there was morning, the blank day. And there's yeah. never that's never said to us on the seventh day. So, no. mm-hmm. you know, the point is, you know, um, outside of all the discussions of the days and the length of days, whatnot, the point is a theological point that God mm-hmm. is the Lord and that he has given a pattern for his people to serve him and to honor him in this world uh, by working and then resting just like God worked and rested. Yeah. Yeah. What we could say is like, sorry, Nick, but that what we could say is um, I guess the apologetic in a sense, the one that we can get is that the world was created. It was not kind of evolved from some over the thing. It was created by the word. That's right. And then we get into specifics of the days and stuff like, yeah, there's some, there's some room for interpretation, but Clearly, it was not just like happenstance that all this stuff happened. It was it was God by His word create all things. Yep. Whatever that looked like, it was it was God who did it. That's right. Yeah, like Nick said, there's a creator creature distinction. So, yep. you know, in the beginning, you know, what does that even mean? Um, God, he he was already there. Yeah. When time when when you know time and space began, mm-hmm. God was already there. Yep. <laughs> <He's>, he, <laughs> you know. He, yeah, he's an outside of space and time. So yeah, crazy. He, like, yeah, he, he can create. Well, he's not space even outside. He creates it. Like he's he creates it. Puts this into yeah. being. Because it's not like he's there and then time and space are here and he's yeah. outside of it and then he just kind of like fills it up with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. No, he, he doesn't even it. exist. Like, and we can't even conceive of like non-existence. Yeah. No. So, but yeah, like obviously, it's like there's a one. There's one God. He's eternal. Uh, he's almighty because he's made everything. He does it so simply that he just speaks it, right? So it's like kind of an analogy to us. Like we have to work really hard to make stuff. Yeah. You know? I had to get speak, off my ch- it doesn't necessarily get the thing done that we want to get yeah. done. Like I had to get off my chair this morning, walk out, go make breakfast for my daughter. Um, so I had to actually like put effort and I couldn't create, I didn't create the eggs out of thin air. They were, the eggs are in the fridge. You could just you speak know? the eggs into existence. You I just, couldn't you just speak them make... into existence, you know? Like, hey, I, I'm not LeVar Ball, you know? I can't just speak it into existence and make it happen. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, so like that, like this whole theology of who God is is certainly the polemical stuff about all the gods around them. Like, certainly that's like a driving force to all that Moses is writing. Yeah. yeah. And like what Nick was saying, and there's a fancy theological term that Calvin uses quite a bit, but it's accommodation. God... Yep. God uses human language because we can't understand the stuff that he does, nor the extent of who he is. So he has to, as it were, stoop down to our language yep. and speak to us in ways that we can understand or else it would just be beyond us. 
Yeah, I mean, how, how, how does God communicate to ancient people in the wilderness who don't have scientific labs? Yeah. Who don't I have... I their first question was not, is this 6 24-hour days? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how does he communicate to them? You know, we talk about, like, this is like the pre-scientific world. No, obviously that's not fair. No, um, not at all. But... They're definitely the scientific. That, yeah, in the <laughs> sense that we understand, like, science, science and, you know, the, the, the scientific method and so forth. Sure. So yeah, it's a pre-scientific era in that sense. Yeah. But God is communicating yeah. to them in terms that they can grasp yeah. uh, his majesty and the reality. Um, because it's not, you know, again, like there's debates. It's not it's not about length of days, it's about the fact that this God has made everything. Yeah. And he's given these people in the wilderness a purpose by saying, just like I worked and rested. This is the pattern I give to you so that you can honor me and serve me alone. Not yep. the other gods, not yourself, yep. but yep. me. So, yep. Yeah, yeah. It's not to say six day creationism, whatever, is not a possible explanation, yep. but like nothing falls or stands on six day creationism. Right. Yeah. A few, few thoughts I have is please send all the hate mail to Peter, not me. <laughs> That's right. Few, I'll take yeah. it. I, I mean, people have already heard where I stand on this. I, I don't take a, I'm not going to reveal it. What I believe, no. but uh, I, I would say you'd be surprised I'll, what I believe. I got I got nothing to lose here, so I'll say what I believe. Uh, and it, it doesn't. It, it, but all the hate to, to you do have something. You're moving to Idaho. Doesn't everybody up there believe in like six twenty four? And if you don't, you're a heretic. Who knows? I mean, yeah. if we yeah, as long find as out. believe, you'll find on, out quick. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I personally believe that it's more logical to think that those six days could be six separate six billion years or six thousand years i mean i don't think that there's six 24 hour days but that doesn't or you could be like augustine and say it was all an instant yeah or, you know what if i'm wrong and someone and it's really six 24 hour days then it doesn't change my salvation no i mean that's not a salvific issue no that's the whole point is the the point is i would disagree is, with you that it is very much salvific but but that's, my that's, that's beside the point <laughs> uh the the i think the point too is that god is like you said is speaking to us in terms especially uh the israelites through the audience during that time and this is theological history is not disagreeing with science science at that point really wasn't um caught up to what they would understand well, they're just not asking the, the same questions that science yeah. is asking the same yeah. questions yeah so, so it's um, not like and, it disagrees with each other. They're just, there's two different sets of questions that right. the Bible is asking and that science is asking. Doesn't mean they're contradictory. They're just not asking the same question. Yeah. And to zero in on kind of our topic of finding Jesus through all this, I know we're kind of yeah talking a lot about other stuff, but to build foundation. I don't know if we'll do that for every episode per se, but this is such an important uh, Genesis one through 11 foundational is so important. So we might spend extra time on just laying groundwork like this, but I think even back to Genesis one, one starting off our initial reaction should be awe and fear of the Lord. Like, Whoa, he created space and time. He is the father of existence and there's Trinity language there. You know, even in uh, immediately in Genesis one twenty six, like you said, he's, he's saying us in plural. Um, and, and more heavenly that, counsel. Yeah. And there's, and, the, uh -oh. and Jesus, Jesus is, <laughs> Jesus is the word. Sorry, that's a nerdy joke for those who got it. <laughs> uh, Nick's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I was just trying not to lose my train of thought. Yeah, Jesus, exactly. is the, keep going. Jesus is the word. And, uh, and the Holy spirit is like the breath. 
So like we learned that from a previous episode, the Holy Spirit with uh, Fred Sanders, like God spoke into existence and, and the word was Christ. I mean, we learned that in John one, one. Yep. Um, the Jesus is the word and he, he spoke creation into existence. So we, so go into like pointing out the first landmark of Christ is it's implicit. Uh, it's not uh, like, if you don't know your Bible well yet, it might not, you might r- not see it immediately, but Jesus is immediately uh, brought out uh, in Genesis one, when God is speaking in plural form, not that there's more than one God, there's one God, the father, the son is the word, and he is uh, speaking into creation. I would say Jesus is present in Genesis one, one. He's correct. That's maybe, what I said. Maybe more. That's what Paul says. Yeah. That's, right. He's that's what God says. created. He spoke, like you said, and you can't speak without a word coming out and you can't speak yeah. without breath coming out. Correct. Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought I said that, but thank you for correcting me if it was yeah. not clear. Yeah. I mean, Colossians one and elsewhere. I mean, Paul says that it's the it's the son who through whom God has made all things. So yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, we certainly want to be careful, like say again, I think I mentioned this last episode. Um, that that uh that little dictum by Saint Augustine, uh, that the the New Testament is in the old testament concealed and the yep. old is in the New Testament revealed. So mm-hmm. we certainly don't want to like see a full blown like I mean was Moses aware of this? Uh, probably not. Um, yeah. The there might have the been idea, like inklings there, or some. There's something. Yeah, there's definitely more going on than you know. Yeah. Than than just sort of. Yeah, a simplistic. I think he recognizes there's something beyond his. Understanding. There's something more going on. Yeah. Yeah, he's not. Really but sure that's not that fully is. revealed until the New Testament, when yeah. you know we have Jesus. I mean, well, we have the angel announcing his birth. You know, uh, the the Most High is going to come upon the Virgin Mary and. Uh, but the power of the Holy Spirit, she's going to conceive, and the thing that's going to be born from her is the, the Holy One, so yeah. the Son of God. Mm. So certainly, like in the New Covenant, the New or in the New Testament, the promise of the New Covenant, uh, we we have like that that revelation of who this Elohim is, this one God. Uh, but yet there's all these like hints. It's yep. now coming to reality, and then the, the Lord's at the, in the water at baptism. Yep. Uh, right. and then you have Jesus, you know, praying to the Father. How do, how can you do that? Right. He's not a ventriloquist. Uh, you have Jesus commanding his disciples to go out and baptize in the name singular of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like this stuff gets developed, but, um, you know, Christians for obviously for 2000 years have been looking to these texts and saying, okay, like Genesis 1, uh, John 1, like these texts go together. Genesis 1 explains, describes creation. Genesis 1 then explains it in like more full reality that, yeah, that it's the word, like the word is that word that was spoken. Uh, the spirit of God hovered like we have here, the, the triune God uh, mm-hmm. who's creating all things. So yeah. Elohim is the triune God. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not revealed fully. That's right. Or, yeah. Clearly and concisely. But when the Israelites are first hearing Moses proclaimed Genesis one to them and they hear, let us make my guess is the Israelites weren't like, Oh, that's Trinitarian language there. That's, that's kind of no doubt. They're probably thinking like, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The single God says us i wonder i wonder what that means but they're probably like that's like i, yeah. I don't really know what to make of yeah. this but it's at least like there's something there but they, they realize this is beyond their understanding yeah yeah mm-hmm. there's, there's like lots of hints i mean yeah they uh, and i haven't done an exhaustive study but like you know we, uh, uh genesis 18 19 like the three men who show up at abraham uh, yeah. abram's tent abraham's tent yeah yeah you know, two of them two of them go to sodom those are the angels yeah. the one who stays behind and talks to abraham that's the lord yeah, and then 
then he leaves. The Lord leaves. The Lord, and this is crazy. The Lord's already in human form before the incarnation. Um, and then uh, we read that the the Lord, the one who just spoke to Abraham in his tent, that Lord sent fire from the Lord out of heaven on the mount, on, on Sodom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, how does the Lord send fire from the Lord? Like, there's more going yeah. on about God than you know. Yeah. Like, I don't just, want to get too far afield. Yeah. But this is kind of similar to like Daniel seven. We have the Ancient of Days yep. who sends somebody from the Ancient of Days. And yep. again, like you can't put too much knowledge into the original audience's head, but you can right. say that there was something beyond their understanding. They're like, how is it possible that this one God has what seems to be like more than one person part of this one God? Yeah. And so, yeah, like the New Testament language of Hebrews, like these are types and shadows. Yep. Like these are yeah. these are ancient type these are ancient shadowy ways of describing what's going to come to reality um uh, yeah because there's, there's hints everywhere like yeah you know by the word of the lord the heavens were made psalm 33 and yep. uh all the hosts with the breath of his mouth we have the lord there you have the word of the lord and you have the breath the spirit yep yeah, right? yeah we're and not in saying the don't, yeah we're not saying don't find <laughs> the trinity in genesis but we're saying it's the full exposition of the doctrine may yep. not be clearly revealed but it is certainly kind of yep. implied within this stuff, even if they hadn't got that fully yep. at first. And we have to say that because it's the same, like the same God. Yeah, like, exactly. Yep. This, Elohim, the Lord is not a different God than the, than the God of the New Testament. So yeah. same God. And so it just, yeah, God was hidden in shadows in the Old Testament and he, you know, progressively makes himself more real and more known, more light as it, as it were, more illumination. But then the fullness of who he is, at least as we can understand that as humans, uh, not until the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, why don't you ask your question about structure next to us? I think. Yeah. I definitely people. want to. Yeah. Yeah. Look, what are we on? Like, we're like on question two right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will, but I think that this, I don't want to miss the point of, of, I found something really interesting. I didn't know if it was even going to be uh, relevant to this episode, but I think it is based on our uh, creator creature distinction, trying to explain how God create space and time and that kind of thing There's an interesting thing i found on my research of prepping for the episode is there's a there's a atheist scientist that said everything in the universe could be uh put into one of the uh categories of time force action space and matter and uh funny enough genesis 1 1 explains that <laughs> to a t all summed up genesis 1 1 in the beginning is time god force created action the heavens and space and the earth matter so i thought that was interesting is yes to peter's point your point the bible is not a creation origin story uh is not uh answering certain questions that science would ask but if you take the creation uh origin story out um separate you can't separate it from redemptive history in the gospel it's 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 part of it it's foundational so um that is kind of going into that more but yeah, yeah the only thing i'd have is a little trouble with the israelites thinking like that's what they would have thought when genesis one was like, they, they may not have been like it's i i think it's it's well and true but they're probably not thinking mm -hmm. like oh this this explains force and creation all that that's above my head they don't, don't know it yet yeah they yeah. don't know it yet there's yeah but I, I see um, what you're saying for sure. Yeah, yeah. And certain things like I absolutely appreciate and agree that there's that audience that first heard that yeah. the author's writing to. But I think that 
we shouldn't forget that as scripture and redemptive history is going on, it's revealing more and more truth going yeah. back to stuff. It just can't so, be different than what they would have understood. Correct. It could so, be fuller, but just not different. So like you said, with the New Testament, it it uh, is explaining the Old Testament even more clearly. Yeah. So uh, good stuff. And uh, um, so I thought it was also interesting that uh, in the beginning of Genesis, the number seven is really important and we'll bring it up a lot more, but uh, seven times God cre- says that creation is good. So I think that that is something yeah. that uh, is important to know. And the, that, sa- and the Sabbath day being the seventh day that was yeah, created. Yeah. There's there's something re- relatively important about that too. <laughs> it's almost like God, it's not a coincidence. God's like, hey, pay attention to this number seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's coming up a lot in scripture. And uh, there's also the number 40 that comes up a lot. But before I get ahead of myself, this is going to help. This question, so I, I, I'm channeling the audience, especially people that um, might not be Christian or, or knew the Bible. I say, wait a minute, Peter, Danny, Nick, you said that Moses wrote the Bible. If I'm correct, Moses lived well after the creation of, you know, he's talking about things way before him, way before Adam and Eve. How in the world is he having a, how is he knowing this, speaking the flow and narrative that would uh, prove that what he's saying is true. Danny, why don't you ask, answer that one? <laughs> I mean, are you asking how, like, how did he write it? You're asking, or yeah, or how, how do you, how do you receive do... the information about the? Well, beginning oh, okay, the yeah. I mean, well, that I mean, too. yeah. Um, There's a lot of speculation on this. I mean, you know, theologically speaking, the Bible says Second Peter, chapter one, that uh, the writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? So you have like. We believe the inspiration of scripture. Uh, the writers were speaking God's word. So God was breathing on his word. Um, but as far as like, you know, how did Moses do all this? I mean, mm. um, for sure, like there's oral tradition. Yeah. Would've this stuff has been passed down, passed from, down Adam from Adam yep. through the generations. Like, and now like, you know, from Adam down to uh, what in Genesis, uh, five to noah right so um but you know by that point of course genesis 6 talks about like you know the world is is as corrupt as it possibly can be i mean we think the world's bad today you know like as we're recording this you know with wars everywhere oh yeah like the the world like was as corrupt as it possibly can be yeah it's always been like Um, this yeah you know and so don't just think of that like oh moral corruption like no like the we call the noetic effects of the fall like the, the the effects of sinfulness on the human mind memory and understanding and so forth so you know those oral traditions were passed down but no doubt like there's also errors and there's problems and um you know misunderstandings and whatnot because then you get noah and they go in the flood and they come out and you know you'd think like noah this righteous man would have you know passed down the stories like you know pristine but by the time like his sons go out in the in the line of shem again it brings us genesis chapter 11 uh, you have God choosing an idol worshiper, right? The Lord's choosing this guy who's worshiping idols with his family in Ur of the Chaldeans. So um, oral tradition, there's like no doubt like it's passed down, but, you know, we can't, I wouldn't say it was, you know, passed down 100% faithfully. There's definitely a grain of truth yeah. in there. And there's also a lot of error. Um, were there, uh, were there like, uh, you know, so, so some things written down, like or you know, inscribed on tablets. Uh, they were in Egypt. Did they had they uh, did they write down their stories? 
uh, on papyrus uh, scrolls, possibly. Yeah. Um, There's a lot we just so, don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Just we don't know. But, you know, we know like the apparatus of like oral tradition and we know yep. like, you know, as know that writing. Yeah. And as writing like starts to take off, you know, around the time of Abraham, like well, 2000, I believe it is. Uh, by the time of Moses, 1500, roughly speaking, um, if we take that date for the Exodus, um, uh, th- you know, certainly there's things written, like traditions are passed down, but also things are becoming like written in yep. some form, whether it's on stone tablets or whether it's on papyri. Um, yeah. And then, you know, does inspiration mean that Moses just sat like in a in a tent with his like hookah and like the smoke <laughs> lifted him up to heaven? No. The gospel, the gospel writer of Luke and uh, who also writes Acts tells us that he has all kinds of sources. Yep. Like he's read multiple gospels, he says. Yep. A lot of people have tried to write a gospel. He no doubt interviewed a lot of people. Yep. He did a lot of research and then he put it all together and we call that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like yep. it's a very ordinary way. Like are there times where God writes on with his very finger on the wall? Sure. Of course. Um, yep. Does God give Moses the Ten Commandments on tablets with his very own finger? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um and Moses breaks them and gives them another copy. Um, yeah. Are there times where God directly speaks to someone and says, do this or that? Sure. But does it always go that way? No. Sometimes there's visions. Sometimes those visions have to be interpreted. Like sometimes uh, there's dreams, right? Abraham has a dream and he sees this smoke going through two of these animal pieces. Like yeah. all this stuff is how God reveals himself. There's all kinds of ways to reveal himself. Um, you know, for the most miraculous ways, to the most like mundane ways. Moses collected a bunch of stories from the elders of the Israelites, uh, and some possibly some papyri, uh, and and the Holy Spirit led him to write this this story, yeah, in this particular way. Like, why is this information, you know, why this information and why not other information? Like, yeah, because I'm sure there was know. more out there that he did not yeah. include in Genesis that we could have gotten, but that was not what yeah. the Spirit wanted us to get. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, we know, like, if like. This brings us way far afield, but like in in the Kings and the Chronicles, like we know there there were all kinds of books circulating oh, called yeah. you know, yeah, the Chronicles of the Kings of you know X Y and Z or the yeah. You know, there's the a line lot more of, information out there that we did not. There's have. so much information, but the the chronicler, you know, the, they they only compiled it with certain information. Mm-hmm. Other stuff was out there and it was legit, but this is what the Holy Spirit wants his people to remember. Yeah, so, yeah, that's long and it answer can come to across. Yeah. It can come across a little messy to people, and it's to be honest, it's kind yeah. of it kind of was a little messy. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a uh, yep. yes. We have the inspired, infallible canon in front of yep. us, but there's also a lot of stuff we just don't know, and it's hard to speculate on stuff because I know people will say, "Look, oh, of course it was from Adam or tradition." I was like, I don't know if it was just that. There must, there's probably other stuff. We're just not told in scripture. This is exactly how that process went. Yeah, I mean, like they. You know, I mean, like archaeology, we've we've discovered um, like uh, like uh, these these obelisks or these stella, these these large like stone tablets, uh, these monuments that have like some of them have, have like you know their mythological like history of the world inscribed on stone. Yeah, like those are sources like that. No doubt has a grain of truth. Yep. Um, but I was going to just add to this, you know, for if, you know, someone's hearing this and be like, man, that sounds kind of like sketchy. And like, you know, how do we know it can be all true? We're, we are Christians. We believe that God, by his Holy Spirit, superintends the writing of scripture. Yep. Uh, he uses sinful, fallible, fallen human beings yep. to communicate his word. 
We're not Muslims. We yep. don't believe that uh, it was directly revealed. Nor Mormons. We're not Mormons. That there was these golden tablets. Like, like those are nice. Those are easy ways to just yeah. to, to talk about how your how your God re- revealed Himself in His p- most perfect and, and you know pristine way. Yeah, easy and clean. Yeah, it's it's messy. Like mm-hmm. it's messy, and you know, and we acknowledge like the tradition over the over the ages. Like the manuscripts have errors. The manuscript, the copyists, you know, made mistakes. Mm-hmm. But we believe that as we compile those together and we, you know, use the methods that we have at our disposal, like yep. we're, we're, we're confident that what we have is the word. Yep. Of the and Lord. we know that there's errors because we have other documents that show us that there's these errors. So the fact that we know this stuff, even though there's a lot of stuff that's kind of confusing, it's helpful to know if you know, you have an error, that means you are fairly confident of what the, um, of what the real says. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. So yeah, all that to say, yeah, these things are, uh, Mo- Moses was recording yeah. this for generations to come. And However, us, he got it. He recorded. He he recorded. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. So and there you I, go. I, and for the audience, I promised that question wasn't off topic because I wanted to make sure that we understand that there's reliability and trust in Scripture. That this is stuff that really happened, yeah. and it's not just uh, made up things after the fact. And we have confidence. In knowing um, reliable sources, uh, scripture, uh, even confirming it later on too. And then it also going back to Genesis 1, if you have a problem believing Genesis 1, that God created everything, you're going to have a problem believing With that the whole he Bible. inspired the word. <laughs> you're going to have a problem yeah. believing that Christ is incarnate, uh, fully God, fully man. You're going to have problems with everything if you don't believe Genesis 1. Yep. And um I'm not saying and if you and, and if you accept that for what it says, then you shouldn't have a problem with all the other stuff. Right. Because he created everything. Why yeah. why couldn't he do all this other stuff? So That's right. um good stuff. So another major landmark, and I kind of want to go in order, but not limited to Nate. We we gotta address Genesis 3:15. I mean, that's the first time we hear the gospel clearly proclaimed. God himself addresses it interestingly enough yep. directly to Satan right after yep. the fall. And yep. he talks about the seed of the woman will uh, crush the head of the serpent, but the uh, serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. So if uh, many Christians know Genesis 3.15 very well, that this is uh, the gospel and it's pointing to Christ, but we have to explain it um, because this is what our episode does. So (laughs) can you pretend you're talking to a non-believer or just average person? like, how does Genesis 3.15 um, directly explain uh, Christ. Yeah, let me take a stab at this real yeah. quick. And I actually want to go further back. I want to go back in the Genesis 1 and the creation account yeah. where God makes all things good. He makes all things good in his eyes. He makes things good. And maybe I'm speaking a little bit more to the Reformed Calvinist crowd, a little less so to the kind of broader crowd. And then I'll expand it. I think Daniel will too. But we will so often start with Genesis 3 and we will forget that Genesis 1 and 2 exist. That all things were made good, and then man fell from goodness. Man did not yep. start fallen. Man yep. started good um, in his image, and then fell from that goodness by sinning against his law. And then you have the promise of Genesis three fifteen given to the serpent, or I guess proclaimed to the serpent, not given to yep. the serpent, proclaimed to the serpent. And it's God is going to make all things right by His own word, by His own actions. Um, not to, this is going to sound, I'm just trying to emphasize a slightly different point, but 
not to say that humans are inherently wicked because we're not going to be wicked in heaven. So that's sin is obviously not so part of us in this life. It mars our image. It's we have original sin. We have all this stuff, but that's not going to be true in heaven because we were originally created good and we fell from this goodness. And so you have that promise coming into Genesis three fifteen, saying that God will come and he will be the one who uh, accomplishes mm-hmm. his purposes. He will do it through humans um, or do uh, through his, the second person of the Trinity um, come in human form. But that's, I, I wanted to kind of begin that because I think a lot of us reform people will too often start with Genesis three and mm-hmm. think Genesis one and two is all about kind of six day creation and old new earth. And we'll get with Genesis three and say like, Oh, humans are horrible. It's like, no, we were created good. That's like the body's body's not bad. We just made it bad. And he comes in, God does come in in, in Genesis three and, and promises the gospel to us. And and sin is not part of creation. No, it's sin a is not part of creation. It's a distortion of creation. So that's yeah. helpful to. Yeah. Danny, what do, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, 315 Genesis 315. Um, yeah. It's a, uh, one. <laughs> important <laughs> kind of, yeah again i keep i keep quoting ron burgundy here kind of a big deal <laughs> yeah um kind of a big deal right uh yeah it's the the proto uh evangelium the the first gospel yep um in dutch the the mother promise <laughs> um i had somebody perfectly pronounce the greek at Redeemer on Sunday for Sunday school. And I was like, that was really good. Like, where'd you get this? He's like, oh, I know a little bit of Latin Greek. I was like, yeah. that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And it's always, it's, 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 it's interesting how the Lord God, um, Yahweh Elohim, he, de- he declares this to the serpent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to the woman or the man, which is interesting. Um, yeah. And it's always fascinating to him. Like, yeah. Cause it's, I, I think sometimes we like, it's like kind of like Peter. I want to go back. Um, we, because even I think Nick said like you know he proclaims it to to Satan. Like he's proclaiming to a serpent. Yep. It's a real serpent. Yep. Like a real talking serpent. Like how is that <laughs> yeah. possible? Like what's going on here? Like we forget so, just how weird some of this stuff yeah. is. So you know certainly like, um, and I and I know people have tried to make like they try to explain this by saying like uh you know the oh. Oh, because Satan's described like a, like a, like serpent-like, and so this is this really is Satan, not a real snake. Uh, no, it's a real snake, and and uh, you know snakes are crafty. That's why he uses the snake. It's a crafty animal. They're um, slithery. They're kind of yeah. slippery. They, they move kind of sneak in. Them. You know, they quietly sneak in. So he uses that. But, but yeah, behind the serpent, of course, is you know the ancient serpent, Satan himself, fallen yeah. angel. Um, who's trying to, to lead humanity astray, just like he led part of the angels astray. Right. Um, so yeah, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim says to the serpent, um, because you've done this and so forth. And he says, I will put enmity, um, between, you know, strife or war, you know, conflict between you, uh, you and the woman. Um, and he says between your offspring and her offspring. Um, I don't have my, my Hebrew Bible in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that those are singular. Singulars, right? Yeah, they're um, both singular. Yeah, yep. seed. Um, yeah, so that's why seed is easier to. I think seed communicates it better than offspring. Yeah, because offspring know, kind of sounds plural. Offspring sounds plural, but then again, we don't. You know, we don't really talk about. I don't really call. Yeah, you know, like I don't call Sadie my seed. Like it's <laughs> yeah. just like that's an older English, right? But anyways, yeah, yeah seed, offspring, singular, um, yours and hers. Um, so again, it's like there's, so. There's more than just 
the serpent and the woman, there's these offspring, these seed, the, this the, each have a seed, singular seed. Yeah. Um, he, her offspring, her seed shall bruise your head. Uh, you shall bruise his heel. Um, so, you know, we've always taken that as Christians to be a prophecy of the Lord, yep. Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the promised savior. Uh, but before we get there, like the whole history of redemption is, is like, it's this promise, like coming to closer to reality. So yep. you have, you know, we're going to, you know, Genesis four, it can enable, um, it's this replayed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the two seeds. Um, and then Cain murders his brother and then, um, and then they, uh, Adam and Eve have another son. She conceives and names him Seth because she believes that he's the seed of the woman. Yep. Right. Yeah. He's the appointed one, the elect one. The chosen one. So she thinks he's, you know, he's the man, but he's not. Yeah. She thinks uh, and then he's it, Genesis three fifteen fulfilled. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, she has, so we would say like, that's her, she has faith in the promise of yeah. God. Like that's exactly. how she's saved, right? It's through yep. faith alone. Um, Maybe. Yeah. She's wrong, but she's also believing the promise. She mm -hmm. believes the promise. Yeah. Um, and then that whole, pro like, so like the seed, like it goes all, you know, again, like the whole world's falling apart. There's Noah. Yep. You get this um, Genesis six to nine. Yep. And then after him, like, again, like then, then there's Abraham yep. and then this promise comes up again where God tells him like, he's going to make his seed, his offspring as the stars and the sand. Um, but then there's one seed. That's the promised son, right? There, there's Isaac, uh, not Ishmael. Uh, there's Jacob, not Esau. Uh, and then that, that seed promise just continues on. Uh, and on the, you know, in one sense, you know, in one sense, like all of Israel is like, you know, they, they are the seed of Abraham, the offspring yeah. of the sand, and the stars. Um, but there's always like that promise of one, like there's still one to come. Mm -hmm. um, and even when like, it looks like he's come like King David, for example, uh, or Joshua, like they have rest. Like there, there's always like a sense of like, there's still more to come. Like there's a little sense of disappointment. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, then you don't get it until of course the Lord and uh, you know, he's that one seed. And so you have like, I, I would say like, you know, symbolically, typologically here um, you have his death and resurrection. You have him, uh, he's, he's crushing or he's bruising the serpent's head. We have his, his victory. Uh, and, but yet his own heel is being bruised. We so have his suffering. So sufferings and glory, uh, death, resurrection. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Paul quotes this or alludes to this in Romans 12, uh, Romans 16, 20, I believe it is 16, 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Tells the Roman Christians, um, revelation 12, you know, you have a, in a little different of an image, but it's a dragon, you get the woman and the dragon. You know, and a, yeah, the woman of the dragon, and she has a seed, a son. Um, yeah, it's Israel uh, collectively, but yet it's also the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the the seed uh, from Israel, and uh, the and Herod is trying to wipe out all the children is a manifestation of that of that serpent. Um, but yet it's the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and so he he triumphs and he's victorious. So yeah, yeah it's just an awesome promise, you know. It's a yeah, and God keeps His promises. So. Yeah, and and even maybe to push this point even further it's it is of course looking forward to the ultimate sea but it also mm -hmm. in itself is a like a true promise like at that point because mm -hmm. what is what is told to adam and eve if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they're supposed to die yep and even implicit in this promise is her offspring which is interesting that they were told they're going to die in Genesis two. And then he tells them in Genesis three, you're going to have seed after this. I'm not, I'm yep. not going to blot you off the face of this earth. Yep. Um, yep. So there's even, even in itself, there's a promise for them right there. Yep. Uh, even if it looks 
further and fuller to Jesus as the true seed. Yeah. And like, I would like this verse and we see like in just in Genesis, uh, Genesis, the rest of Genesis three, where God himself clothes them with a sacrifice. Uh, and I, as I mentioned, she names her next son, Seth, because she believes that he's the promised uh, seed. Uh, these are, these are the texts that um, like at the time of the reformation um, Protestants looked back to and said, um, you know, we who believe that God saves us by his grace alone in the savior alone, Christ alone uh, through faith alone. Like we have the Heinrich Heinrich Bullner called it uh, their outglaub, the the old faith. We have the old faith. We believe as as Adam and Eve believed uh, in the promise of God, through faith alone, there's no there's no works here. Uh, the only works are them them uh, taking the app the the apple yeah. or the fruit and eating it. And they're only, the only works we have here is them clothing themselves with their own hands, which <laughs> yeah. God says is insignificant. He clothes yeah. them. So yeah. you have here the promise of God, the grace of God. You have the Savior who's promised. You have the the, the sacrament of that, the the clothing <laughs> He gives them, and you have their faith. And so older writers in the, in our tradition said this is like proof that we have the old faith. We we are the we are the most Catholic of Christians because we believe the ancient faith of mm-hmm. our first parents. By faith alone, we are saved through yeah. through Christ alone. Yep, Amen. Yeah, and uh, before I I want to take a brief step step back because I this is so important. I don't want to overlook it. Um, first person human in the Bible, Adam. How does him being prophet, priest, and king in the garden point to Christ? I think you want to prove that he's prophet, priest, and king first, and then we can show how he's prophet, priest, and king. Yeah, I was just gonna try to go in order, but um, yeah, we can you can answer it now or later. We could park names the an- he one. names the animals. Is that yep. that's, that's kind of like the prophet, you know, yep. uh, idea? Uh, yeah, I think people when they hear prophet, priest, and king, they're like, well, that's yeah. not, that's not in Genesis one to three, but he does things that prophets, priests, and kings yeah. do. Yeah, he he yeah he 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 yeah proclaims things. Um, Guards as the a priest. Garden. As a priest, yeah, he, well, yeah, the the priestly language people don't quite get that, but the priestly language is not just sacrificing, no, um, which we would say in a sense he does because he's you know he's working all week honoring God, giving his life as a sacrifice, but yep. uh, he's he's commanded by God to uh, to the ESV says um, what to work to work the garden and to keep the garden, yep, um, but uh, uh, it says there that he's place in the garden to to guard it right to to work and to guard which is what the levites um, do in leviticus which is what the levites do yeah uh shamar and uh the levites do that in the temple they they guard the temple's holiness yeah from you know anybody coming in who's unclean you know unclean animal sacrifices like they keep the utensils clean like that's their job is to guard uh the purity so he's a priest um and he's a king because obviously like he's the capstone of creation and mm-hmm. um you know all the animals come to him to be named yeah, uh, he's the last thing God creates, and obviously, and then from him comes his yeah, wife. He's given representative authority from yep. from Yahweh yeah. himself to do these things. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's ca- called to have dominion, right? Yeah. Like all authority in heaven and earth pretty is pretty kingly. Him, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, and I would tie that to like like Matthew twenty eight, like all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said, like that's yep. typologically given to Adam in the garden. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. all the authority of God. So and he's then- a prophet, priest, and king. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah, I wanted to underline that part. And then going forward to Genesis 4, I thought there was some interesting landmark language about worship that we could tie to Christ, of course, because the whole Bible is about Christ. But just to kind of further explain um, and let you 
I'll just kind of pull, you can pull the thread, but in Genesis four, we hear the first time of public worship when uh, Seth fathered Enosh and they began to began to call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe what's that about? And then Genesis four, four, Abel talked about Abel earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Abel sacrificed to God, the firstborn of his flock. And we hear yep. later in scripture, these animal sacrifices in the Mosaic law and the purity and all that stuff. Yep. And Jesus being the firstborn, perfect sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how does how do they know how to sacrifice in Genesis four? Because God just did it in Genesis three. That's right. <laughs> he clothed right? their nakedness, right? God yeah. clothed Adam and Eve. And you know, again, like Moses doesn't tell us everything. So did God give commands? Possibly. Yeah, we're just not um, told. Or did they just deduce from God's example? Yeah. Just like God worked six and then rested. Like, did they learn from his example? Oh, God sacrificed and, and clothed us. We need to sacrifice and have a you know, a covering, um, regardless, um, that's, that's what's going on there. So, um, yeah. And then Abel, uh, you know, and again, like no doubt they've passed this down to their children. They've catechized their kids. And so Abel is what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Not just the firstborn, but also the fat parts. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it says Cain, um, just gave some of the, some of, uh, what, um, some of the, uh, and, and offering of the fruit of the ground, like it's implied just, you know, it's just some, of his like produce. Yeah. Not the best parts, the firstborn, the fat parts, right? It's just some. Um, so, you know, did they have like full blown like Levitical laws? No. Mm-hmm. Moses, again, is writing to the Israelites in the wilderness and he's, you know, explaining to them like the significance. Yep. But that's what's going on there. Um, and, you know, and that was how they worshiped, like through offerings and sacrifices, right? That's how, yep. and you see that the like later on, the altars that Abraham builds and, calls upon God's name. Jacob builds an altar and like that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. this is how they worship God. Um, and then uh, like you see in Genesis four, after Cain kills Abel, like the line of Cain is described and all the things that they're doing. Um, there's Lamech, you know, of course, and his like, Hey, I'm going to kill everybody 77 times. Even yep. if you just touch me. Um, he's a tyrant, right? He has more than one <laughs> wife. He takes um, the Sabbath principle and applies it to himself. He's not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's like, he's like a godlike figure in his own mind. Um, and you know, and Kane's line does a lot of other stuff like quote unquote common grace stuff, yep, like music, uh, animal, animal, like domestication, and you know, yep. herds, and uh, they city. build cities, they build yep. cities, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, but then for verse 26, the end of chapter four, um, says of the line of Seth, uh, he had a son, his name was called Enosh. Uh, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, so. Um, they're distinguished from the line of Cain, the line of Seth is, and they're yep. just, they're, what distinguishes them is their worship, right? Yep. Which yep. mean, you know, go back to chapter, the beginning of four, uh, sacrifice, animal sacrifice, yep. calling upon God's name. Um, so you have sacrifice and prayer. These are like the two of the main things that the priest did. Uh, they sacrificed and prayed. So they're at, they're, they're doing priestly things. Um, and uh, it, I've always found it interesting how like, God tells Moses in Exodus three that no one's called him by the name of Yahweh. Hmm. But Moses says that like, for, like they called upon the Lord's name. Yep. They call like, upon how, Yahweh. how does that like, so maybe, I don't know, Peter, what do you think about that? Like, how does that work? <laughs> I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, so I think what Moses is doing is saying um, like, they didn't know that name, the divine, the, the tetragrammaton. They didn't know the name. Um, cause it wasn't revealed yet until Moses. 
But what Moses is saying is like, he's kind of reading back. He's kind of mm. going back and saying like, Hey, they I'm are tracing calling like, yeah, yeah. I'm tracing like our family line and they, they were calling, calling upon, upon Elohim, him, even if they don't have that name. Yeah. Like they're calling upon Elohim, the, the creator God, uh, that creator God is the savior, God, the redeemer yeah. God, the Lord, yeah. Yahweh, like Elohim is Yahweh. So, and that's why you can call him Elohim Yahweh at the same time. Like in Genesis two, he's not Elohim. He's Elohim Yahweh or Yahweh Elohim. So, yeah. uh, the Lord God. Cool. So. Yeah, I had that question. And I was also going to ask too. I have always wondered, and there is so stinking much um, speculation, but who on earth is Cain scared of in Genesis four? <laughs> if it seems yep. like he's the only dude there. It Yeah, it seems interesting. Uh, I mean, at, so at a minimum, it you know, they, they no doubt like, I mean, when did this happen? I mean, they probably yeah. had other kids besides Cain and Abel. And then the, it seems like Cain and Abel perhaps had their own, their own kids. You know, but still, that's that's not a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's right. not a lot of people. So, uh, and I think this is why, like, you know, like old, some Old Testament scholars. Um, one was a professor at Princeton, William Henry Green, uh-huh. and he write and he, he studied the the genealogies of Genesis and talks about how they're they're selective genealogies. Yeah, there's gaps in these genealogies, there's gaps in between them, right? Um, and uh, you know, just like these are selective names, even like yeah. in like. I would say to people who might be afraid of that and say, oh, well, once you get gaps and you start getting like billions of years of Earth and, you know, if you don't take them literally and just add the numbers up and get to yeah. like the Earth. what James Usher years. did. But didn't Matthew in the genealogy of Jesus skip people? Very selective. <laughs> <laughs> like, doesn't the Chronicler in First Chronicles 1 through 9, it's nine chapters, it's a huge genealogy, but doesn't he skip names? Like, they all like, skip names, yeah. It's always selective. Yeah. Right? It's always, I mean, I would say always, but it's like, there are key points in history where in the scriptures where the genealogies are selective. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting um, what's going on there. How, who is he afraid of? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's that's a room for another show for sure. But, yeah, there's yep. there's definitely other speculation. There's like uh, other people. Uh, yeah, how much time has time, elapsed? Yeah. Yep. Same time or before Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve were just set apart as federal yep. heads or. So there's a ton going on in the Bible, people, yeah. but like the Bible right. only gives us like the things that are exactly. necessary. What you to need know. to know for salvation. What you need to know. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't need to know, like, <laughs> were yeah. there other peoples and, you know, around yeah. the, who knows? Probably like, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not a, that's not my field. I don't know. <laughs> all i know is that this is what's revealed and this yeah. is for this is what we this need is to for know. our salvation this is what we yep. need to know so totally yeah i yeah. i actually want to make a connection that you you mentioned uh, based on numbers especially with uh seven um genesis 5 24 with enoch would be taken up as uh being the seventh from adam so when there's scripture there's must be certain uh they list him as the seventh person from adam and maybe there was gaps but for scripture purposes um, to make a point, maybe they list him as the seventh. And, you know, with Enoch, he was taken. Uh, he was the only person when you start listing people, he didn't die. He was actually taken up. So yeah. maybe that points to Christ somehow uh, based on the uh, resurrection and ascension. But um, the numbers seven and 40 come up a lot. Genesis two talks about seventh day of creation, obviously the, uh, then Genesis 4 24 connecting to Matthew 18 you brought Lamech uh talking about undeclared unfit justice 77 times for those who harm him he would kill them but Je Jesus flips that on its head in Matthew 18 
Um, 70 times then, 70 should forgive. Yeah. Yep. And then, yep, exactly. And then um, in Genesis 528, Noah's father, Lamech, uh, looking forward to comfort, naming his son. And then, yep. and then Lamech had lived, uh, funny enough, 777 years. Yeah, and then Genesis, <laughs> Genesis 7 to 11, there's seven pairs of animals for food and sacrifices that God ordered to Noah. Seems to, bring to be the, the seven is rather important. Yeah. And then there's 40 days and 40 nights on the storm of Noah's, uh, Noah's, uh, during this, uh, 40 years in the wilderness Noah. for Israel. Yep. yep. And then there's another 40 days 40- of temptation. And then there's yeah, another 40 days to wait. Yeah. Another yep. 40 days to for Noah to get off the ark. So what's going on here? Just I, I threw a bunch out there. <laughs> yeah. What's up with seven and forty? Uh I mean, seven, the, you got the Sabbath. You got that's the seventh I mean, yeah. day. That's the one that he hallowed that's promising to Adam is like, hey, this is this is what you have to look forward to if you if you continue in righteousness. Like you got this eternal yep. life to look forward to, this yep. day that you don't have to work. Because you yeah, have I would to say work like on the sixth day, and you don't have to work on the seventh day. At a minimum, I mean, these are like you; Blues. these numbers are used as literary devices, yeah, um, to point to realities. You know, yeah, there's six days and a seventh day of rest, and so then this number seven becomes this kind of like symbolic number, um, you know, of fullness or completion or you know whatever it is. Um, does that mean it's that every time it shows up? I don't think so. Um, you know. He lived 777 years. I don't know if that's significant or not. Um, uh, Lamech, that is. But yeah, 40 like becomes significant. But you know, these are also like kind of, yeah, they're, they're numbers of completion, kind of round numbers. Yeah, seven's not a round number, but kind of like the like these are numbers that are used to like you know fill out some kind of a cycle of time. Um, you know, did it take 40 days to come out of the ark? Yeah, but it's, it's you know that's how God ordered it. But it's also like making a point. show that principle, right? That's kind of like that yeah. nice order to it. So maybe yeah, it's it's hard to not. This is the um, what this is the <laughs> D.A. Carson exegetical fallacy thing. Don't put everything into yep. every single instance of this, but yep. when it does seem relatively clear and you can see from the context that this is what's happening, then yeah, go for it. But sometimes yep. it might just it might just be a number. <laughs> Could yep. be yeah. I I find it interesting. I throw it out there, even for the fact of like in Genesis seven to eight, God ordered uh. Noah to have seven pairs of animals. And that reminds me of, you know, for, so for supplying sacrifices and food for them yeah, while they're yeah. on the he boat. He has a clean, but, unclean distinction in yeah, Genesis yeah. 7 and 8 too. And then that point, that reminds me of during uh, the Exodus, uh, Jesus su- supplies food for his people in manna and striking the rock is water and, uh, yep. and you, there's still sacrifices need to be done. So He's providing the needs of nourishment and um and 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 worship and sacrifice. So I don't know. But uh I definitely there's a huge part of Genesis one through eleven. I know we've gone on for a while, but uh we want to talk a little bit more about significance of Noah's Ark, because there is a physical representation of the of the ark itself with saving grace and salvation, and and God picked Noah out. And told him what to do. And the storm and waters, as this was a real storm that happened, whether it was worldwide or regional, it's really happened. But there's a significance of waters, storms with justice, um, and even points to baptism. Um, so what's going on with Noah's Ark, the flood, the water, and maybe Jesus with baptism and things like that? 
a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. My, that'll be probably <laughs> my last thing I ask. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll take a stab at this and yeah. Danny can conclude with his doctoral wisdom. Um, but we've, yeah, you've got with with the arc and I, like I like what G.K. Beale has to say about this. And I think Meredith Klein talks about this too, but yep, you kind of have these three levels to the arc. You have Beal got it from Klein, by the way. Yeah, Beal did get it from Klein. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He uh, he's, he taught with Klein, which is how he learned. Yep, they have three Klein. levels. Yeah, yep, three levels, and you have three levels to, as far as we could tell, the uh, the Garden of Eden. You have three levels. Yep. You have the holy place where he gets to walk with God. You have outside of that, and you have the whole world outside of that, and you have this. Mount Sinai has three levels. Yep, yep. Temple so has three you, levels. You see all this like temple like yep. language and so yep. he doesn't say it's a temple but he 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 uh he shows you and why does paul talk temple. about the third heaven yep yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so all this stuff is the show like this is this is a this is god's quote like quote unquote resting place he's yep he's there with with noah and noah's family because who who closes the door behind noah when noah goes in yeah this is yahweh closes the it door says god the lord closed the door yep hmm. Yeah, so it's Come on, Nick. You didn't know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I'm just listening and nodding my head. I, I did. There's a there's a lot more going. That's usually yeah. like you'll get two, two slightly like you'll get two very different interpretations of Noah's Ark. You'll get one that's like all about destruction and the horrible human race. And of course, there's stuff to that. Or you'll get like kind of the children's Bible. Noah's Ark is all about happiness and peace and rainbows and stuff. And you're like, I. It has both to be sure, but it's not just one or the either. Um, yeah, you get the this ark, this temple that flows through the waters and is a picture of salvation through judgments. And then also, like Peter says, and I think first Peter three is also a picture of baptism, which is interesting. They're not under the water, they're over the water. That's a little bit of a, a <laughs> take mm-hmm. on, on immersion. But there's there's a lot going on here too with Noah being the righteous one and then him in a vineyard in Genesis nine him falling down drunk and being uncovered which is a pretty clear callback to Adam and Eve being uncovered or at least them mm-hmm. noticing they're uncovered so there's there's just all sorts of connections with Noah's Ark that goes way beyond just a judgment or just a happiness it is all these things the creation of all of creation you see um, with the birds the bees the cattle the people all of that's destroyed that was created in about i think it's the same order so there's there's a lot going on hmm. danny any <laughs> yeah i was trying to i was trying to find that verse for you brother that says the lord closed the door uh oh there it, it is yeah genesis genesis 7 uh 16 the second the last part of it after they all go in and the lord shut him in it's awesome yep. so yeah it's it's this is uh uh the, the lord you know this is the sanctuary right this is a place where god dwells yep is where he walks um, with his people with his people so he sets them um, apart from the rest of the world just like yeah and then the uh garden of eden and israel yep yep so um yeah i was, I was just walking in the, the garden with adam and eve now he's walking in the yep. the tabernacle ark with noah and his mm. descendants mm-hmm. so yeah and then kind of like just maybe saying saying something a little different to add to it um like you have so you have the you have the flood and of course, God says he won't ever flood the earth like this again mm-hmm. um, in the rainbow sign of that. Yep. But then you have like flood water type stuff happening throughout scripture. Uh, Israel yep. is saved through, yep. you know, not a flood, but through the Red Sea. Yeah, this is the Exodus where the, the flood waters yep. are separated. Yep. So they passed through, you know, Noah floated on top, but they passed through, yep. um, you know, the split sea, which is kind of cool. 
Um, and then what happens when the Israelites fight 40 years later, they get to go into the promised land uh, and they cross the they cross the Jordan River. Yep. Um, we're not sure what part, but they cross the Jordan River. Yeah. You know, how deep was it? But um, which remember is how Jesus the, gets baptized, he gets baptized yeah. in the Jordan River. But then how do they get into the Jordan River? Like the priests go first with the yeah. ark and like the water splits like a Red Sea. Yeah. And, the, and as long as like I think it was like as long as they were there, like the waters were split and everybody gets passed through. So they they're saved, you know. They cross over through water, and then yep. yeah, like 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 Nick said, um, uh, you know, Jesus is in that very same Jordan, being baptized. Um, and I would even point back to the Old Testament, like the prophets talk about how the Lord would be with the Israelites; He would save them through the flood uh, and through the fire, um, you know, as a symbol of salvation. Um, and then, uh, and then we're told in second or in First Peter three. Mm-hmm. Um, like Peter makes this analogy that uh, Noah and the eight people are saved um, in the ark, right? Through the waters. Uh, and he says, you know, which is a type or it's an anti-type of us in baptism, which now mm-hmm. saves you. So uh, I got asked by someone recently, um, you know, yes or no, you, you have to have a yes or no, you know, does baptism save? And I said, well, if I have to have a yes or no, I'd say yes, because as the Bible says, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, then I have to, but then I have to explain it. Yeah. You know, what does it's that mean? It's not just that like, simple. Yeah. Yeah. There's like there's sacramental signs and there's the thing signified. There's the inner, the outer, outer part. There's what God gives, what the minister gives. Like there's it signifies you know, salvation. That's right. Yeah. So um, you know, and you can look back upon just like the Israelites could look back upon that Red Sea that they had just crossed through, and then now they saw the water back, receded back, and you know, chariots were underneath it, and maybe floating, we don't know. Uh in the same way we can look back on baptism and we can say that I've been saved. Uh, I've passed through the waters uh, with God, with Christ. Uh, he's He's cleansed. He's cleansed me. He's destroyed my sins, uh, and I've come through upon dry land. So, um, yeah, it's just there's so many so many awesome like uh, yeah. types and shadows and symbols and like realities in the Bible. Maybe Danny too, and you have a sh- uh, YouTube short on this. The whole post in tandem with this. There's a. Uh... There's there's some fun stuff going on with the rainbow because it's not just a, oh, yeah. a rainbow. What's what's going on there? Because I think we're so used to like just rainbow and, and pretty colors in the rainbow. Yep. But like there's something more going on there. It's actually called the bow, right? Yeah, the bow. Like I'll set my bow in the heavens. Which is I almost mean, always ever used as a like a, a warrior's bow. So weapon. Yeah. So yeah, so we like we impute to that rainbow. Yeah. Although it says the bow, right? So I'll set my bow in the heavens. It's, it's um, a warrior's bow, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the crazy thing is, um, yeah. So God, because so God says, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna flood the like, I'm not gonna flood the earth again like this again. Yep. And to show you that, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna put my bow in the heavens. Uh, again, it's yeah. not just a rainbow. There's a pot of gold at the end of the little leprechaun. <laughs> you know, it's he's <laughs> setting <Like> his. <laughs> he's just judged the whole world in a flood. You know, and the the bow, a symbol of his, you know, being a warrior and his weapon of justice. He's gonna put his bow like he's gonna hang it on the wall, like on the mantle, so to so to speak, in this in this castle, you know, in, in his kingdom. Uh, and he's not gonna use it anymore. Yeah. Like in that way. Um, so there's that. First of all, he's you know, he's setting aside like that form of justice again. Yep. Um his and instrument then, of justice. Yeah. And then the se- I would say, I would say, I don't know if this is like what everybody would say, but um, I would say secondly, um like if you look at a rainbow, Nick just put the rainbow on, on the screen. There's a little emoji. Um, <laughs> the 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 rainbow, the bow is arced 
facing upwards. I was hoping you get here too. Yeah. So like I'm I'm with I'm with you on this interpretation. Yeah. So this is like this is covenant stuff. Like yeah. um it's pointing at somebody. It's pointing at God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like, pointing at the world. It's pointing so at God, God. Yeah, that's right. So God is saying, like, hey, I'm not gonna flood the earth again like ever again like this. And to show you that, I'm gonna put my bow in the heavens. Oh, and by the way, the bow is pointing upwards at God. What does that mean? God is taking the like an oath mm-hmm. of judgment upon if himself. If I go back saying, on my word, let this yeah, be true of me. That's right. Like if I, yeah, if I flood everybody again like it did before, then may I be like str- struck through with an arrow. Which is what um, he does with Abraham in Genesis yep. 15. That we'll get. There. I was going to say that. Yeah, when he passes the animals, it's God. We'll do. I guess we'll talk about it next time. But yeah, it's God. God walks with the animals, not God and Abraham. Yeah, he puts Abraham to sleep. Yeah. Which in ancient covenants, it was always the two kings together walking through, like, yeah. and they're each mutually making a, a treaty. An agreement. Yep. This time, God's like, no, you're going to go to sleep. I'm going to pass through. <laughs> yeah, you're going to pass uh, up. Take, I better take this on myself. I'm taking all the judgment upon myself. Which is what he um, does after the flood. And which is what he does on the cross, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. And what he does on the cross. Yep. Like Exactly. He takes the judgment upon himself. What, Jesus what goes was, to the cross. Yeah. What was pictured in Noah's Ark, where the bow is pointed at him, but it doesn't actually ever shoot. At yep. God because he doesn't go back on his word. That's right. On the cross, he actually is shot and yep. he's shot with judgment. Yeah, that's right. So, man is which is shot. why salvation is freely 100% of grace, all of grace from beginning to end. It's not Jesus goes to the cross and, you know, does his part. And then you got to do your part by carrying your own cross. Yep. You yeah. carry the cross. We take up the cross and follow him because he's gone to the cross. Yep. Exactly. Like, you know, his grace leads to our gratitude. Hmm. It's uh, not can, God. Can... It's, it's not a mutual covenant where God says, "Hey, I, no. I did, I did my end of the bargain, fifty percent, and now you got to pull your weight, bro, or you're out." You know, or like <laughs> I better keep up good stuff. I better keep being a good person. I better, better do all this stuff to make sure God yep. still likes me and God still loves me, or else I'm going to lose His yep. favor. It's if we're yep. we're in covenant with God, we will never not be in covenant with God. Jesus gets all the judgment. We get all the blessings. Yep. That that stuff will preach. Yep. That's so much gospel in Genesis one through eleven. You know, <laughs> that's that's there what it's go. all about. Yeah, if yeah. Jesus tells us that this is what it is, in Luke twenty four, because all scripture points to me, then it better think it all point to him. Yep. I mean, if he stood in the synagogue and said this scripture is fulfilled in your in in your hearing when he stood right <laughs> yeah. in front of him, I would hope that it would preach right. Like the whole yeah. thing is about him. So yep. exactly, awesome. So that's what we're doing for this season. So yep. next time we'll pick up on uh, chapter twelve. Yeah, uh, carrying on with Abraham and and his family and where it leads. So if it yep. took us like an hour and a half to do eleven chapters, how are we gonna get through like <laughs> uh, the next? There's a big whatever. One. That's a big one. There's yeah, I think I think we can go a little faster. I say that now, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? but yeah, hope hopefully everybody enjoyed this and and saw more in Genesis one to eleven than they saw before. Yeah, and they see the gospel. Yep. Most importantly, clearly in Genesis one through eleven, and then hopefully they see the gospel clearly from Genesis one all the way through revelation 22, that the, the Bible is not about us. The Bible is all about um, our salvation in Jesus who was judged that we might be yep. given and perfectly righteous. Yep. Yep. And I just one, one last closing thought I would say to everybody out there listening, when you read your Bible from this point forward, you have to read your Bible, old Testament to begin the old Testament to new every chapter, every story, you have to ask yourself, how is Genesis 3.15 like yep. coming true? Yep. Like, how is this story pushing the narrative of Genesis 3.15 to its fulfillment? Just think yep. in those terms, and you'll be able to see how everything points to Christ. You know, yep. it's it's really that simple. Yeah. Go. Amen. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys next week.
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode in our seventh season, Jesus and All of Scripture. Please make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast catcher or on our YouTube channel. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and write a review. These really do help the show reach a wider audience as we continue with our goal of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology for all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. We'll see you next week for another episode.